and welcome to Neurotic Nourishment. I am Lindsay Weisner, clinical sorry psychologist at Psych Shrink Mom. And I am Sharon Sapir at Sapir Nutrition. Oh yeah, I'm a nutritionist. You are. <laughs> and we are so, so, so excited to have on as our guest, dating coach extraordinaire. Yes. I want to add Dahlia Karnofsky. And and her she has a podcast not your therapist podcast and i believe the instagram account is the same thing correct Mm -hmm. not your therapist podcast yes hi dahlia hello (laughs) thank you for having me Oh my gosh. Thank you for agreeing. Sharon has been, I feel like I've been stalking you, but Sharon's been fangirling you. So don't be scared. Yes. I'm going to try to break down. Yeah. No, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Actually, so Lindsay found you. I did. And she's been doing a great job of, of finding really interesting people to have on. And she sent me a link to one of your podcasts. And I'm not gonna lie, my first my first reaction was homework like yeah Sharon doesn't like when I give her homework right I was like I this is work like I you know but it's good of course I want to know more about our guests but that was my first and then I clicked on the link and within 10 minutes I kid you not I was addicted like I couldn't stop listening (laughs) um afterwards I kept listening to more podcasts because what you do is it's fascinating. So you're you're not a clinical psychologist. You're you, but you help people. Yeah, we think you therapize, like in a good way. We mean it in Thank the best you, yes, way. Totally. Well, and the distinction is not your therapist. I'm like, just so everyone knows, I have no right to be doing this. But right, but I'll do it anyway. Right, but it's sort of like um, it's sort of like. My husband says, if he says something, I will not listen. But if anyone besides him says it, it's like, I'm like, holy shit. You know what I just realized? Um, And I think it works like that for therapists too sometimes where, uh, so I think you're not being a therapist actually is probably an advantage and, um, and it's a great thing. And I love your style too. Like you're very, um, a say it like it is no bullshit, no dancing around anything. And I wanted to ask you if, <laughs> and, and I, I mentioned this question. To I was like, that's the dumbest question ever. She's like, no, it's important. Yeah. So let's go. For so it. I wanted to know, do you have an Israeli background oh, just based off of your name? Yeah. Um, based off I, of your name. Based off my name. I do not. I, okay. I'm familiar with the Israelis. I have obviously been to Israel being a nice Jewish girl. <laughs> and uh, my parents, like, they were just kind of hippies, I want to say. And I think, you know, they knew that that had kind of like an Israeli flair to it, my name. But my brother's name is Holden. Like, it's not random. But I like, I, you know, I know that I have a little bit of that straightforward maybe it's a Jewish thing I don't know but I I'm no, we're nice like girls, we're not nice yeah. Jewish girls also but but I, I only backed up Sharon's idea because of your hair color I was like this mm. is true mm. you know yeah uh, but no sorry you got nowhere to go I know I know I'm but sorry I, 
I'm really romanticizing the Israeliness because of my own background, and I'm like, we share. I mean, we all we all have it. And if you really want to know, I did marry an Israeli when I was 22. (gasps) Wait, you got married when you were 22? Yeah, and then I got divorced when I was 23. So like, don't worry about it. But married when I was 22. So Sharon got married when she's 22. Yep, but I am. Good. A lot of learning. <laughs> yeah, a lot of learning. It's a very young um, age. Very and young everything age. You say in your like, I have to say, your podcast is so you really make dating looks like it could be so fun that part of me has <laughs> to start dating again. Yes, but it's true. I think like I I'm in a very happy relationship now, and I try. I, I, this never comes out the right way, but I always try to tell my boyfriend, like, I'm with you because you are actually, I'm not with you because I hated dating. Like, I love dating because I really do think it can be fun. And I think the only reason to stop is if you actually find someone who is more fun than dating, which to me is saying a lot because I think dating is fun and I think it should be fun. I I agree 100%. I I, I am, I, well, I, I love the way you view it as a play. I love, you know, a, almost like a theater performance. I love that you, um, you know, it's something that you are supposed to enjoy. I also, I love the idea that it's your job to make, to sort of make the other person want to fall in love with you or mm-hmm. to, you know, to make it a pleasant experience for both. Yeah. I did have a weird wonder if you would ever run into someone else you dated in the same restaurant wearing the same outfit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no I mean I'm sure when I was dating I would go to like the same three bars so I'm sure the bartenders right. kind of <laughs> clocked it but they're there to support you you know they don't care I tell that to my clients all the time I'm like go to the same bar make friends with the bartender like we have to also be aware of our safety and comfort levels so yeah it's great if they know that you're gonna be bringing all of your dates there and they know you as long as they don't think you're a call girl, obviously. Totally. And you can talk to them, but they don't usually, I mean, in this yeah. day and age too, it's fairly common for people to be going on a lot of first dates with different people and usually at their neighborhood bar where they're comfortable. So I think it's like pretty normal at this point to bar- for bartenders to be like aware of all the dating app dates that are going on around them. Agreed. And it's probably pretty easy to identify them, you know, yeah, totally. um, like almost old school, like show up with a carnation kind of thing. Right, exactly. You know? It's always like someone looks a little scared and confused and then they come right. down and then it's kind of awkward and then maybe they're making out, hopefully, if they've been working with me. And then, right. yeah, we go on from there. So I thought it was very interesting that you said, um, and I love this, and there's so much advice that you give out that I'm like, wow, I really wish I had had Dahlia when I was like dating um but you said basically unless they scare or repulse you Mm -hmm. give them a chance oh totally I mean I think I probably said more than that and said unless they scare (laughs) or repulse you make out with them but like I recognize that's not for everybody um but I personally took a lot of joy in that and I think you know I'm trying to find ways for people to enjoy dating more. And I don't think it's that fun to just go talk to a bunch of strangers for an hour. Yes, you're getting to know someone new. But to me, the fun part was always getting to the makeout at the end. Right. So like, I never get the reward at the end. What are you going for? Like, no one wants to do that, you know? 
So that's kind of where if you're not comfortable with that, you can obviously find something else that makes it more rewarding and fun for you. But generally, I'm like, that's how you really get information about a person because we're sitting there so nervous across from each other. And it's like, you can't possibly know if you're attracted to someone, you know? I, it's funny. I, so when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's not how what I think at all. And then I started listening more. So I'm, I'm thinking of my personal experience dating. And then also, um, I'm writing a book on, you know, dating and relationships. And then also I'm thinking about, um, the patients that I talk to regularly about, you know, the single patients, the 20 somethings. Um, and I actually thought, your last, this most recent episode, mm-hmm. um, uh, I can't remember his name because I'm blanking at the moment, but he did. Um, the creative he, coach guy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe. He did a great job of explaining the difference between coaching and therapy. Yeah. And, um, and it's one I'd never thought of myself, but I think my style is actually more merging of the two where I'm going to tell you stuff you dumbass and that'll, you know, that, that, that'll be fine. And then I'll tell you why you're being a dumbass and then how to move forward from it, which I think combines the, tr- the two, but obviously not everyone can be as good of a therapist as I am, oh, but um, obviously, <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, but I was thinking about it and like my, I always, my, I feel like my patients tend to move too quickly in the physical. Mm-hmm. And then the more I listen to your episodes, um, I realized that when I was dating, what I would do is I would throw it into the conversation that I don't kiss on a first date Mm -hmm. and like somehow blend it in. And there was always alcohol involved. So it was like not a serious, you know, like a serious, awkward conversation. But I think um, it's sort of allowed for, I'm like, I'm a very straightforward, assertive woman. And I think it's sort of if a man did sort of try to break through, I think it sort of allowed for a, you know, a switch of uh, masculine and feminine Mm. and Mm -hmm. sort of a reward for like, you know, the guy for proving me differently. Interesting. um, I like that little challenge. Yeah. I was young. I don't think I was that smart, but I think in retrospect, the men that I was attracted to and ended up dating more were the ones who would break through, you know, who I would put that shit out of there and they would go against it. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, I, I do recognize it's not for everyone. Not everyone is comfortable with that level of physicality on the first date. And I definitely don't think that making out on a first date then means next date you have to one-up that and one-up that. And right. I don't think it means you need to get physical and go home with the person. To me, it was always like a little treat unless I was repulsed by the person. And then, of course, I wouldn't do it. Sometimes it would let me know, oh, I thought I was attracted to them. Maybe I'm actually not. Sometimes it would let me know, oh, I didn't think I was attracted to them, but that was really hot. Now I am. But at the same time, like you said, when I say give someone a chance, I usually say, okay, fine, forgetting the makeout. But if you're not repulsed by them, go on at least, I like to say three dates. I'm going to say bare minimum two dates because it can just take a while for someone to relax and actually be themselves and to have that confidence that someone else is going to find attractive. No one has that kind of confidence on a first date, especially not guys, because they hate being there. So you have to wait for them to calm down. And for them to calm down, they have to actually feel like you like them. And a makeout accomplishes that very quickly. So you think they hate, you think they hate being on the date? I think like more than women. I think to stereotype genders, um, I would say masculine energy people 
generally are less comfortable in that situation than women are because women were kind of used to like the hosting role, the making everyone comfortable role, like the making conversation role, the nurturing role. And men, I just think they get kind of like nervous and awkward. And also in this day and age, like men already know that all they have to do is one small thing and women will hate them. Like not to, yeah, not that's to true. for men at all, but it is a little bit difficult right now. And they know that they're hated. Like they know that we're looking for these red flags or this moment that we can tell our friends about, or like post on Instagram after about what a jerk this guy was. And it's kind of this like mindset now. And so I think they're going just waiting to be roasted. They're just like, Oh God, like whatever I do, this woman hates me. So like, that's why I say we have to a little bit, not like, Oh, we have to take care of poor men, but like someone has to be the one who's willing to be like, I'm going to give you a chance. I like you. I'm going to decide. I'm going to go into this date deciding that I like you and put you at ease. And then they can actually be probably the great person that they are if they're not feeling like they're going to be judged no matter what they do. I agree. I and I, you know what else it makes me think, though? When So to me, that means for the men that do fuck it up and do something that makes someone uncomfortable, mm-hmm. like... It's, it's sort of more of a, a I'm going to say red flag because like really in this day right. and age, you, you know, it's uh, totally it's a, it's a I had a patient who went home with a guy, you know, who's like on a first time and he started pulling out a lot of, you know, bondage stuff. Right. And I was like, yeah, that doesn't worry me that he's into it. It's the fact that he was ballsy enough to pull yeah. that out on a first date yeah. that was like. That's a warning flag yeah. for me. Well, I would definitely say anyone who's not aware of the cultural climate um, and just starts doing those kind of things. Like I had a client recently that she had talked on the phone to the guy and they were like planning their date. And then he asked her seven different times if he could send her a dick pic, which I'm like, well, yeah. for asking, but like, why would you before you've even met the person? And also like seven times, like, how are you not aware? So, yes, for those people, I will say if they do something like that, no, you do not need to give them a chance. You are, you are totally free to leave the date or not go on the date or whatever. But I think for a lot of guys who are like a little more introverted or just not as comfortable in these social getting to know you situations, which I think they just naturally are not. And I also always kind of say the guy you actually want to date probably isn't that great on a first date because he's probably not the most charming, confident swagger guy in the room. Cause quite frankly, you probably don't want to date that guy. So he's going to be a little uncomfortable on the first date until he feels like maybe you actually like him and you're having a good time and he can relax and be himself. That's an excellent point. Um, So can you explain, cause I made this mistake in our previous exchange, the difference between, I think the difference is very simple and I'm just a moron, but between matchmaking and coaching. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I kind of started my journey as a coach and then I got hired by a matchmaking company to coach their clients and I would help with the matchmaking, but I really always focused on the coaching and then I decided to become a, you know, full-time freelance coach because I really believe in it. And I think the difference to me, I mean, the matchmaking obviously is taking two people and saying, because of these things on paper about them, these two people are going to be a good match. And I just kind of don't fundamentally believe that. 
And I well, that's because you know, if someone doesn't know what to do, then they're gonna fuck it up no matter how good exactly. they match. Like I, t- I worked with so many clients at the matchmaking company that weren't happy with anyone, and I had to be the one to be like, we need to look at you and what you're bringing to the table because if you are not open to these people, yeah, you're gonna stay single forever, even if we put the on paper very, very, very best person in front of you. You're not going to be right. ready for it. You're not going to be able to deal with it. I think like finding your person, if you believe in a person thing, um, is a combination of timing, chemistry, and then what you bring to it and your habits. You know, like I do think people all have the ability to meet someone, but if you have your same habits and your same blocks, as you know from being a therapist, over and over and yeah. over again, you're going to block yourself from a wonderful person and you may not get that chance. So while I think, you know, for people, the people we worked with at the matching company were very busy, didn't want to do the apps, like whatever it was. I think that's fine as a way of, you know, maybe saving time. But I honestly think it's really much more about you and what you're bringing to it than it is about putting the perfect person in front of you. I think if, you know, if I'm setting people up just for fun, I always look at it as like throwing spaghetti at the wall. I'm like, these are two single people I know they should go on a date because who am I to be able to predict who's going to have chemistry, who's going to get along, what's going to be good for who. People who are perfect on paper all the time don't do well in real life. People who are complete opposites on paper do great in real life. So, you know, I think if there were to be successful matchmaking, it would just be like putting a bunch of people in a room together or like doing a numbers game. But I don't think we as humans, unless you're like the little old Jewish lady in the village from like a hundred years ago who knew everyone. Even then it's it's just a smaller village. Right, exactly. And you just know everyone and people are going to get married anyway. So you're like you and you. Right, like they're going to match up anyway. Because they don't have that many options. Exactly. And that's when it works. But nowadays I'm like, yes to the numbers of just like going and going and going on the dates. But honestly, like I don't think someone else can predict what two people are really going to hit it off unless you're like a magical psychic. So I just think you just like, I always tell people, if you want to be set up by your friends, tell them to set you up. And there is no expectation that you're going to like who they set you up with. You just want to be set up with every single person they know. And for them not to worry about if they actually think you're going to be a good match or not. Right. Because it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. They can't predict. And like part of the reason your friends aren't setting you up is because they don't want to be the one putting you on a yes. date you don't enjoy. So you have to kind of take that pressure off of them and just be like, I just want to go on more dates. I just want to go on dates. Anyone you know who's single, set me up. I'll go. I'll have a good time. Do not worry about whether or not we're a good match. Well, one piece of advice that I love that you give to pretty much everyone <laughs> is fuck up. Like, fuck it up. Make mistakes and don't be afraid to do that. Totally. So just get out there and and. I think that's huge because, I mean, that doesn't only apply to dating. I think it applies to, I mean, I'm a nutritionist, so I tell people, like, mess up. You don't have to be perfect all the time. We learn from every experience if we allow ourselves to learn rather than beat ourselves up for it. Totally, totally, totally. And and the beating up thing is big, too, because I think, you know, while I encourage people to look at themselves and what they're bringing to the table and if they're repeating the same pattern over and over, like, what is coming from them – I also tell people like, but don't spend time beating yourself up. Like it's good to take responsibility, but we all have to make these mistakes. And there's not always a way for you to know 
what you're doing or why what you did was wrong or people want to chase the question of why 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 didn't that person like me or why did I fall for that or why was I so stupid and I'm like it doesn't matter learn what you needed to learn and like move on to the next we all have to go through it it's true you know it's funny the spaghetti analogy that's the same thing I use when I first start working with a patient Mm -hmm. I'm like things can sound fantastic on paper you know like I've got a doctorate, I've got a postdoctorate, I know a lot of theoretical reasons you're gonna do shit and it means nothing. Right, exactly. So if I say something and it doesn't sound right, you know, tell me no and that's the only way to learn. And that's nutrition too. Like I have a master's degree, I know science, but dude, everyone is individual. Like I try a lot of different things because it's just, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. Right, I absolutely agree. And that's why it's so important too that you just, stick with it like I'm like it's good to look at the patterns it's good to look at what happened it's good to figure out what you can learn and then you just like your only option is to keep going and keep trying different things well you say you say you don't guarantee that someone's going to find a match but they're you guarantee that they're going to stay with it and when they stay with it they will find the match exactly and if they stay with it with the right positive leaning towards positive attitude not to be Pollyanna of course you're allowed to get angry. You're allowed to be disappointed. You're allowed to be right. mad, but to keep going and as much as you can wipe the slate clean each time. Which brings me to actually the 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 actual episode that I sent to um, Sharon. That was a very powerful episode. It was it was the one you had the uh, comedian on who's uh, Jenny, uh-huh. I believe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. And I specifically sent that to Sharon because I was like, she doesn't like homework. If she only listens to um, one of these things, she's going <laughs> to listen to you know this episode. Yeah. It's Jenny Zuccarino, and she's talking about, you know, and she also discusses sort of, um, you know, how she feels her physical appearance, mm-hmm. her weight. She feels like the other. She feels like the other. Mm-hmm. She feels like that is affecting it. And, um, and it was very interesting because I was sitting in my car. I was like, I don't agree. I think that's, you know, like, I was like, well, what would I say to a patient? I would be like, that may be true. Or you may be using the past to predict the future. Mm -hmm. And you did a really good job of like sensitively. And by the way, she's beautiful. She's hysterical. Right. Um, But you did a very good job of trying to show her, you know, I don't know what she walked away with, but I felt like you did a really good job of, you know, trying to break, a habit that who knows right I mean maybe she just moved to the midwest or like you <laughs> right. know well but I'll, I'll give you a little update yeah. she has a boyfriend now yeah really? I'm not surprised after a session like that Aww. that was a breakthrough I mean was... I think it is just people get very attached to telling themselves a certain story yes and they want to be like I figured it out this is the problem and this is why it'll never be different and I'm like, if well, you try yeah. and create a story, you will find one. There's stories everywhere, but you have to choose to not make that dictate what your experience is going to be. And like, she was rejecting people so that they wouldn't reject her. Right. Yeah. She it was defensive. Yeah, yeah. Very defensive and like ready to be rejected. And because she had pinpointed this thing about her weight in Los Angeles, which is a valid concern. Obviously, Los Angeles is known for being superficial and filled with, you know, hot actresses and whatever, but she is hot. She is beautiful. And plenty yes. of people thought that and she wasn't seeing that. She wasn't allowing that because she was just so ready to be rejected. 
Right. I mean, she's not alone in it, obviously. No. I mean, listen, it's, it's anxiety in this case about dating, you know, but also, I mean, humans, I mean, where do we think religion came from? It, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not not <laughs> being God. Um, no, but, but really, like, the story, like, we create stories to explain yes. Greek mythology, totally. you know, like, yes. we create stories to explain the things that we cannot understand, and that helps us feel more in control of our environment, yeah. and that's, it's an anxiety thing. And we alter our environment, even, sorry to keep tying this to weight loss. No, yeah. <laughs> no but even like if, if you have in your head, I have a slow metabolism, I have a slow metabolism, mm. and then you start tracking and you're just eyeballing portions, you're going to put down that you ate 900 calories right. and now you don't understand why you're not losing. Not that I advocate anyone eating that low ever, mm. but I have just seen that and it's because you are creating the reality right. for yourself. Right. So you, right, you create story. a story that you need to believe in because it makes you feel more in control and that like if I'm not losing weight, at least I, I know why. It's because I have a slow metabolism which i always think is a crock of shit right <laughs> I, don't a, I don't have a slow metabolism i like whiskey that's why <laughs> sharon and i met because um she was my nutritionist and then we fell in love oh and God. then we realized it that got complicated, it got complicated. <laughs> but basically the podcast started because sharon's sister-in-law was like how are you guys so close? You're, you're, you're so different. Oh, right. I like that. Because the people on paper are not ever the match that you think they're going to be. Yeah. Right. And, right. And also, ultimately, we both have the same goal in line, which is to find nice people. And to help people. And to yes. help people. That's my goal, too. I yeah. want to help. But I will say about the, you know, story thing, I've tried to, and it, it sounds kind of stupid when I say it, but when people come to me with the, you know, the ghosting epidemic and all that, and they feel rejected, and why do I always get rejected? And it's kind of a stupid shift, but I've told people to, rather than be like, what's wrong with me? I got ghosted. I got rejected. I say, just assume that they liked you so much they couldn't handle it, and it scared them, and they had to reject you before you could reject them, like kind of do the thing I was saying Jenny was doing, but I just say, even if that's not the case, if you start telling yourself yeah. that story instead, like, I remember when I was single, and I probably still do it, I just assume everyone has a crush on me. <laughs> I love like, this. Everyone's obsessed with me everywhere I go. And if, they, and if they don't pay attention to me, or they didn't like me, or they don't even look at me, I'm like, they're intimidated. It's because they're so in love with me. <laughs> I love that so much, because I was so the polar opposite. And I, I just, I almost like couldn't date because of it because it, it was, there's was so much negative speak mm. to myself. And, you know, over the years, I've wisened up. Oh, and you mentioned you, on one of the podcast episodes, you said something so um, amazing. I don't know, there's a better word for it, but I'm going to use amazing. Um, <laughs> I can't think of a better word. Uh, you were talking to the 23-year-old who... So many, oh my gosh. <laughs> right, so many she likes older men. She likes men who are like twenty years older, yeah, and uh-huh. she right, and she she liked this particular friend who's twenty years older. And you said, you know, that you might always like older men, but you also are now you're young, and and younger women, you know, our personalities kind of shift as we get older, mm-hmm. and when we're in our thirties, we become like more kind of testosterone. Mm-hmm. We get yes. more of that, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. career is more and we don't kind of take shit like we did when we were younger and I was like oh my gosh that's exactly what happened to me <laughs> it's well, so it's, true 
Yeah. It's, it's quite a shift, but you said you've always liked younger men and your boyfriend is younger too, right? Yes. yes. I, I'm not sure, you know, I've tried the older man thing and I think I just always felt like they wanted me to be this like younger, like whatever fantasy they had in their head. And oh, for some reason, I've just always connected with younger guys. I feel like they get how much they should be obsessed with me. <laughs> I love her so much. Yes, we all need to feel like Dahlia. Yes, yes I agree. I really think that was like a lot of the world. I know because I think. Go ahead. It's it's obsessed. It's respect. It's you know. There's a certain. Uh, uh, I don't know. There, there's a certain. There's a real benefit to that. And I think whereas at the beginning of a relationship with an older man, um, you could possibly learn from them. At some point, you kind of don't want to learn anymore. Oh, no, yeah. You know. I don't think I'm learning from any older men. I mean, I think not to generalize because like there's all kind of relationships out there, but generally if a guy who's dating me is 20 years older than me, like he probably still has some learning to do himself. Why is he? Agreed. Know, why is he doing this? And I also think, I mean, I, I think too, what I talked a little bit on that about on that podcast with the hormonal shift is like, I think yes. that is the reason that I work well with younger guys is their younger guys are used to, you know, dating 25 year old women who are all in their feelings and super emotional and sensitive (laughs) and dramatic and needy and clingy, not to generalize, but like most of us in our twenties were a little bit of a mess. It's fine. And when they meet someone who's like straightforward, knows what they want is invested in their career, has their own life, has their own friends, doesn't have all these crazy emotions all the time. Of course, sometimes, you know, it's refreshing and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so hot. And I think that is why younger guys work well with older women. And I'm the yeah, advocate I, for that. Yeah, I mean, I was fucking crazy pants in my 20s. Of course, was, we all were. That's what you're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. I did. We did a good job of doing that. Um, it, it's, it's funny, you know, so I actually have a question for you. Like, so is there a most annoying question or topic you have to coach people through? Ooh, good question. Um, I mean, this will kind of counteract what I'm saying about being obsessed with myself. But <laughs> it's okay. I think I, I do get, because I work with a lot of women who are like very successful in their careers, very strong, very powerful. And they'll be like, I think men are intimidated by me. And of course, that's what I'm saying. Like, you should assume when you get ghosted. But you, but it's, it's different, uh, to use that as a way to, you know, not take the rejection on yourself and, or to use that as a way to push people away. And I think like these women will go on the date and be like, I need a guy who's like at the same level of success as me. And I need a guy who's this, 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 and this, and men are intimidated by me and I'm too successful. And I'm like, they're not intimidated by you. They just don't feel like there's any place for them in your life because you're probably going on the date not like very clearly in control of the whole situation and you have to allow for a little bit of I'm gonna let someone else step in here and I'm gonna let someone else be a part of my life and help me and not that you need to be like needy but you need to let someone else have a purpose and a worth in your life and so I think there's a big confusion between um you know, being a successful, powerful, strong person doesn't mean that you don't need or want another person in your life. And I think, you know, these women will kind of come in saying, 
I, I don't know what it is. None of these men are good enough for me. And I'm like, you have to decide that good enough looks like something else. Like success looks very different on different people. And just because you own a million dollar home and have had this career success and all that, you actually don't need your partner to be at the exact same place in that way. You would be well served by like a handyman who treats you really well because you've got the money covered. What do you need someone else at your exact, you need another egomaniac? Like, no. I agree. And also I think that that, that, that line that men are intimidating, intimidated by me is also a defense that means they don't have to look at their own shit. They can just put it on right. other people. Right. And when I say like, oh, someone ghosted you, assume they were just too into you. I'm like, yeah, that's like a fun way to just not beat yourself up and tell yourself a sob story. But when you actually go on the date, you need to be willing to let someone in. And if you feel like men are intimidated by you, yeah, you're probably pushing them away and judging them is what you're really doing. Do you ever um, ask, so like, let's say a client does that. Do you ever ask about their history growing up? Like what was their, you know, was, what, what, did they see an unequal relationship between their mom and dad and they swore to themselves, like, I'm never going to let someone else dictate and I'm going to be the strong one? Is, is That's a good question. How much of a deep dive can you do when yeah. you're coaching? Exactly. Right. I generally work more with just their past relationships and kind of look at their relationship patterns. It will come out kind of yeah, like family exactly. stuff from time to time. And a lot of my clients are also in therapy, so they are aware. Mm. And they might tell me that. Like, I did have, um, I have a, a female client right now who she's like real hung up on this stockbroker guy. And he just like doesn't have time for her because the stock market's always doing crazy things. And he has to go and run. And like, and I'm like, what is appealing to you? And she loves like how successful he is and how important he is and how rich he is. And then the other day, something happened with the stock market. And she, she, I was talking with her and she was like, well, my dad called me about it first because he's a stockbroker guy. And I was like, <laughs> ah, I see now. Okay. Like, I get it. It's, you know, it is like her dad yeah. thing of like, I need someone as successful as my dad. I watched my dad take care of my mom. But the difference is she's a very successful career woman and her mom wasn't. And I'm like, not to say that two successful career people can't be together, but two alphas probably shouldn't be together. So if you're going to be this super ambitious career driven person, it's not bad for you to be with someone who's like a little more stable, needs a little less of the attention, you know, is more of a grounding force in the relationship. But she's very well, attached to this idea of being with this power guy. And it's very clearly from her dad. But yeah, that didn't really come up until recently. So it's interesting that you asked that. That's interesting what you say about the two alphas being together, because as we talked about with women in their 20s being normally less alpha, and then sounds like we become more alpha, mm -hmm, even mm -hmm. hormonally, do you, do you see that as kind of a problem? Because when you're in your 20s, then you choose somebody alpha, but then you become more alpha and then I, I, I will, I will, I will say what Sharon will not, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I met my husband, he's five years older than me. And, um, you know, when I met him, listen, he was like 30, I was 24, you know, mm -hmm. we, I mean, he was a man who knew, like he knew how to live on his own. Hell, there's a certain way he likes his socks folded, <laughs> you know, and I, yeah, it's fucking weird. And I was like <laughs> in awe of him. And then as, you know, I had children and I grew up and I, you know, sort of grew into my own. Um, we just celebrated our 14th anniversary, yeah, but Thank you. But at our 10th anniversary, and it's all peaches and cream every day, obviously. Uh, 
but at our 10th anniversary, I, I remember we had this conversation and I, I was like, I like, I was like, I just thought you were more like open to like new things and more fun when we met. And he goes, I just thought you were more submissive. And it was like, if you know, like, that's not me. And it's become less me. And perhaps in my 20s, I was attracted to an alpha. And now I kind of want to be a little alpha, too. you know, like right. it's a uh, it shifts. And it I think Sharon shifts. knows people who have similar, had similar experiences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think <laughs> there's a reason that I wouldn't say no one should get married in their 20s, but I do think it's I shifting. I, I think it's shifting more and more. And as we're getting more and more of an equal footing in society and women are learning that, you know, they can be the breadwinner and they can be the alpha and men are like, oh, maybe I could stay home with the kids. Like, I do think it kind of takes all of your 20s to figure out who you are and what you want. And you are a very different person. And that's not to say that it can't be successful. But I think that's probably what happens a lot of times when couples are like, we grew apart because like, I agree. their roles yeah. shifted. They became someone said something to me once that I thought was really interesting. She was like, um, men marry when men get married they want the person they're with to never change when women get married yeah. they expect the person they're with is going to change they want them to change so men are like what happened to the nice yeah like sweet that so woman awesome. that I married and women are like I thought you were going to be different I thought we were going to talk about <laughs> things I thought we were going to you know be grow together right. and so it can get kind of stuck and obviously there are plenty of relationships that work just fine, whether through couples therapy or having open communication or just kind of naturally shifting because men's testosterone goes down a little bit. So that can be very helpful in the shift. But um, I do think like having been married at 22 and now I'm 35 and I'm like, okay, now I think I'm actually, I get it. I get why people get married. Right. Like I'm ready. Yeah. Because I, I do know myself. And at this point, not to say I'm not going to change at all, because I'm sure I always will, but I think so much shifting happens from your 20s and your 30s that you are better off making a lot of mistakes in your 20s and like learning who you are and waiting to decide this person for a very long time is now going to be my partner. Which I agree, although then I, I do think at a, uh, I think some point some people get so settled into being by themselves. That's true too. I would agree. I agree. That's why they need Dahlia. I yes, agree. That's why they need. And I'm not saying don't yeah. be in relationships. I'm saying be in a million relationships. Right. And yes. Be in all the Same. wrong ones. Just don't get married until right. you're like pretty sure that you've like figured your shit out. I mean, no one has ever figured their shit out. So what am I saying? No, but figured it out. Right. there's degrees. There's degrees. there's degrees. I think generally, probably the six, I think it's statistically the success rate of marriages, the older you get is higher. But who yes, knows, it is. you know, it all just depends I, too on like how much you can communicate, obviously. I definitely, I, well, I mean, listen, it makes um, sense to me a, as well. Right. There's a million different studies about everything all the time, but right. I do remember reading that, that there's a much higher success rate when you're not in your early 20s. Sharon's yeah. caveat is because I, I cling to um, like empirical science for some, you know, like, it's by training. I'm like, wait, can you validate that? Yeah, so I have to jump in. Exactly. But, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, so another thing that I run into with my patients, and I think I can even relate it to nutrition, Ooh, yeah. um, is 
it's when people insist on sticking to their type or, you know, I think the nutritional equivalent would be like keto or yeah, like I want to do low carb. Well, why? Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Well, if it hasn't worked, you know, with my, my thing with people sticking to their type is it didn't work with like, you're just looking for the same asshole in a different body oh, and it has yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know how you talk people out of that. I always just use sarcasm and or throw things at them. That's good. <laughs> That's mostly what I do, too. That's um, my clinical style. Yeah. yeah. When I was at the matchmaking company, I ran into that a lot because one of their kind of interview questions when getting a new client would be like, what's your physical type? What's your emotional type? Like, what do you... And I'm always just like, well, clearly your type is what got you here. So let's try something different. You know, like, obviously that's not working. And there's a reason, you know, people end up so often out in the normal world with people that they're like, they were never my type, but they grew on me over time or whatever it is. So I'm like, if there's something you've been doing and it hasn't been working and it's brought you to me or it's brought you to a matchmaking company or whatever it is, why would you not try and change it and do the opposite? Right. And, you know, the other part about that is I, I, I did a back when I was doing those Instagram videos, whatever, like really your, your type is actually a fucked up Freudian nightmare because totally. that's where the, you know, like that's where those types come from. So keep sticking to all the bad shit your parents passed right. on to you. Right. And you know how it works. Like when you're five foot two and you have to date someone taller than six feet or uh, he has to. Oh my God something like that yeah. so I getting people to go out of their type is just um it's really tough because it's comfort it's familiar but that's not always a good thing well and what I try to um say a lot is like people will be like well I just know I just know if I'm attracted to someone or not and I'm like that's your like initial like a physical attraction lust ticker going off you know what I mean but that's not yes. that's probably like I've said before not someone that you actually want to end up with is that alpha guy that just like gets your vagina going right away like you right. like the person you want to end up with is probably going to be a little bit more of a slow burn you might be like oh they're such a nice guy but like I just don't feel you know super turned on when I look at the guy who like attracts your attention across the room probably not your guy probably will be right. really great sex but like then we'll burn out. Fuck him and <laughs> you know, fuck him and move on. And exactly. if you burn, just on, Get it out of your system. Maybe even date him if you're yeah. in your 20s. And then right. move on to the nice guy who grows over time. That's why people end up together who have, like, worked together for years, went to college together. Like, people that they saw in context that grew on them over time from being, like, a nice person, a funny person, a good person. They just click intellectually, whatever it is. And the person that you fall in love with across the room, yeah, there's probably a bunch of Freudian shit there, and I don't trust it. Right. You know, it's true. Okay, I have another question. Please. That was just the best advice, by the way. I hope every single person is listening in the world. I agree. So one of the things you said that I was trying to figure out what it looks like is, I think you said, try not to define a relationship for the first, mm. I think you said three months. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, here's my question. How does that play out? What does that look like? Is it realistic? And how the fuck do you contain the woman's anxiety <laughs> or the man's the feminine energy's anxiety, <laughs> you know, during that time? Because, um, 
I, I don't know because people don't like uh, you know vagueness. Yeah, gray area. Yeah. I limbo. Say, yeah, I think. I say three months. I do think three months is a real. And obviously, I have no science to back this up, but I have read it in other places in my own mind, which is three months <laughs> is there is some sort of biological thing that happens every three months, so like three months, six months, nine months, a year with our like attraction, like three months is kind of where I think I read this book where it was like three months is the perfect phase. That's when everything they do is perfect. And then after three months, going into the six months is the imperfect phase where you start to see who they really are. Something they do annoys you or you're like, oh, they're not perfect. They come off the pedestal. And that's when you can really decide if you like them in spite of those things. Whereas the three months you have the rose colored glasses on, everything they do is great. You have all those like first love chemicals going, the crush is going, like everything is just perfect, perfect. So that's why I say like, especially if you met them on a dating app or some other way that was out of context of like, oh, I've known them for years, but some way that was, you know, we met at a bar, we met through a friend, whatever it is. It takes a while to see who they really are in different situations with their friends, with their family, with you when you're sick, when you get in your first fight, all that. So that's why I tell people, and for some reason, we, when we put the label on of like, this is my boyfriend, all of a sudden we're willing to like kind of forgive a lot more and we are less willing to get out of it. So now after two weeks, we say, oh, this is my boyfriend. We spent every night together for two weeks and we're just obsessed with each other. Then at three weeks, when you have your first fight and you see how bad their temper is, you're like, but I can't just like break up. Like this is my boyfriend now. We're attached. Like I told people I had a boyfriend. Like I put it on social media or I, you know, I think of them this way. My stuff's at his house, whatever it is. For some reason, you're that much more trapped. And that's how people end up in things for a very long time that they shouldn't be in. And they have a hard time getting out of. So I say it to kind of give time for that stuff to wear off a little bit and for you to have a context to put them in. Obviously I know three months is a long time to a lot of people. So I'm like, if you can even make it a month, but you have to be consistently seeing the person. Like I think deep down we all have, if we start to listen like an internal awareness of when we really are comfortable and know a person and it's past the point of like everything they do is great. And I'm just so in love with them. Like, it, so it has to get to that point. And I say, I don't say you can't be exclusive. I just say you shouldn't really have the conversation of like, you are my boyfriend. I'm your girlfriend till you at least can say to yourself, I've seen them enough times. We've had enough consistency that I feel like I really know them and I'm comfortable and I'm not going to be surprised by something they do tomorrow. You know, I think I can actually back this up with science. Right. Um, <laughs> so um, seasonally, men and women are off with like when they want to settle down. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, like winter, spring, summer, fall, which, you know, 12 divided by four, we've got three months. Mm-hmm. Um, and so math is not my strong point, but I got that one worked out. Um, but so seasonally, it's it's something along the line. It's, it's, it's chemically, biologically based in such a way that all like the loss should occur or uh, should peak in both people at a time when nine months later, it would be safer for a child to be born. Mm. And so, um, 
I, I know it's a little out there, but it's, it's like, it's fact. Um, it's fact in that I read it somewhere that was scientific a long time ago, right. but where, so whereas like women will sort of, men want to settle down in the fall and women sort of want to um, settle and then men tend to break up in the spring and uh, there's like one season where they're all in tune and that's when most relationships form. And then nine months later, it's a neutral season. I'm blanking on whether it's fall or spring, but it's a neutral enough season that it would be safe to have a, a you know, a child that is all the odds in its favor being healthy. So I think that the three month thing means at least in theory, odds are you're making it through one season. So right. one hormonal yeah environment um you know and so it really does make sense in that it's a good test so wait then when do you tell them to that they should not stick their penis other places no um take their dating profile down or I, i don't know how that works but like i'd imagine that they keep getting messages from other people and so they're not officially boyfriend girlfriend but is that where the do they talk about exclusivity? Like, how does that work? I think three months. Well, three months. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, again, I think the three months is the idea of it is that you go a little longer than you normally would before you want to like claim this person. So you're like, I'm, I'm feeling so obsessed with them. I want to claim them. I want to figure it out. I'm going to wait a little longer. Like you just push yourself a little past that initial phase. So it may be three months, whatever it is. But I think the exclusivity conversation can happen sooner purely from a STD standpoint. Like, (laughs) you know, like I think, and, and from a, like, look, if we're really not committing to the three months, but if I am trying to figure out if you're the partner for me, we both need to be in this and we shouldn't be seeing a bunch of other people because that's going to distract. And I wouldn't count that as part of the three months then. I think the three Um, months has to, has to be, exclusive and I know it's like very gray area what I'm saying of like exclusive but not boyfriend girlfriend but like I'll use myself Mm -hmm. as an example I had sex with my Mm -hmm. boyfriend after like I think seven dates or something which is a very long time for me to hold out and I was basically and I'm not the most proud of this moment but whatever I said I (laughs) hate using condoms so if we're gonna have sex you can't be having sex with anyone else which is a very practical thing yeah which is totally and it wasn't like are we exclusive what are we it was just like here's the facts I'm gonna let you put your penis in me but I don't want to be getting STDs and I can't not be knowing what you're doing and he was like obviously I'm not having sex with anyone else because he's like very introverted and nerdy so whatever (laughs) (laughs) telling you this is who you want but uh, he you know and so then from there it was like maybe another month and a half or two months of seeing each other regularly knowing he wasn't sleeping with other people obviously we can never completely know anyone can do anything at any time so be careful but after a couple months of that I never brought up the boyfriend girlfriend conversation but around like two and a half three months he introduced me that way to a friend and it felt very like safe and natural because I had been seeing him consistently and just getting to see him in all these different situations didn't feel rushed, didn't feel like we jumped a step. It just felt, it felt a little longer than I even wanted. I was like, what's going on? Why hasn't he called me this yet? But I didn't bring right. it up, which is another thing I say is like, generally, this is very, very stereotypical to say, but generally, I let the man be the one to initiate that because 
women are a little quicker to the draw of wanting to get the commitment. And so I'm like, let it be their idea. Even if you're like freaking on the edge of your seat, sit on your hands and just let them do it. That reminds me of that book. Um, this book actually changed the way that I dated because I was always, I was like very nerdy and not, kind of not like super self-aware and playing the game. And if I liked a guy, I was like chasing him. I was like calling him. I was like, why aren't you calling me back? <laughs> like, like people, people were ghosting me and I didn't understand that ghosting was a thing. And it didn't have, it didn't have a name. Like, you know, 14, 15 years ago. And I, um, I read this book. He's just not that into you. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves that. And it did like, it did basically say like, if a guy is interested, he is going to, he's going to initiate. Yes. It's, and, and that did change things for me. Really, really true. I mean, I say you can throw a bone or two at the very beginning because sure, there's a chance that they're shy or they're not sure. Or they don't want to offend you. But after that, like, if you're confused, if a guy's giving you mixed signals, if he's not coming after you, and if you're like, he says he really likes me, but he's always busy, and he never initiates plans, I'm like, that's your sign. If you're confused, the answer is no. Guys are not confusing when they like you. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you. It's funny. My, um, I think I was, I think I was more of a mind fuck when I was single than I realized as we're sitting here. Cause I remember saying to my husband, I was like, so, and like, it was a very quick, you know, like I was very into him. He was very into me. And then I was like, I just got out of a relationship. So just so you know, I'm dating other people. And he goes, well, just so you know, there's currently no one else I'm interested in dating. If you're going to date other people, then I'll keep that option open. Great. But, and I was like, Okay, and it took me about like two weeks to be like, I'm full of shit. I'm not really interested in dating <laughs> yes. someone else. You know, like, I was trying to be all tough and badass, and then I just folded. So yeah, I you mean, know. but I love that. Like, I love that you, because I think that's fine too. Like, the more straightforward you can be, and be like, look, this is what I want. However, I'm not gonna like beg you for it. I'm gonna tell you, yeah, I'm I'm looking for a boyfriend. So until you're ready, I'm gonna keep seeing people and like you don't it doesn't every conversation doesn't have to be this agonizing like what are we like I think in to go back to the when do you take the dating apps off question like I think that's a reasonable I remember seeing them still on my boyfriends when we had been dating for like a month and a half and I was like what are these and he was like oh yeah I just never checked them off and I was like well take them off like you know it's just like having just being straightforward about what you want and you'll find out very quickly if they don't want the same thing right and it's I mean and in your boyfriend's defense I mean I have mapped my walk on my phone that's an app and I can't tell you when the last time I've used like if you don't you know if you stop using an app I feel like you sort of stop noticing I actually had I was seeing somebody for like maybe two or three months I think I was like 19 or something and I noticed one night that it was j-date right and his profile was, was still up and I was like why is your profile still up like I thought we were exclusive <laughs> and and he kind of like hesitated like he's like I don't know oh, that's a lie <laughs> right and and then like right away and I mean I I'm sure there's deep psychological reasons that I that I do this and have done this throughout but I just kind of like in my head I was like no and I just completely like broke up with him I was like no and like I think a week later he's like no 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 I took my profile off like I really still want to go out with you and I was like no no wow and I completely uh I I froze him and I 
done that with other people in my life. I, I would imagine if you had a dating coach, things would have gone a little yes, differently. for sure. But maybe your instincts were right. I mean, like, I do think, you know, at the same time that I'm like, don't have these conversations for a while, like, wait and see if you want to be exclusive with this person before you even decide, like, let the initial chemicals wear off. I'm also a huge advocate of just like having very open, frank conversations when you want to have them. And you'll find out what you need to know. Like, I don't really think if it's the right person for you, you can mess it up mm-hmm. with an open, frank conversation. I agree. I love that. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Dahlia, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. We are so happy. I think Sharon is going to go put your picture above him. No, I'm going to oh, make a shrine. <laughs> Here. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun, and you guys are so amazing and great. And I'm oh, so glad that like some scientists told me that I was right. You are right, <laughs> but can you can you? Because I want people to yes. know how to get a hold of you, right. and I also know that you have once a week a uh, LA show. Yeah, oh, once a month. Yes, yes, for single people. Yes, um, people can find my podcast is not your therapist, and my Instagram is not your therapist podcast. And my email is notyourtherapistpodcast at gmail.com if you want to work with me. And if you live in Iowa, like what was that? Yeah. I said, I like the way you did that. You used the same name for all Thank of them. That's yes. brilliant. Less confusing that way. I'm direct. And uh, my show in LA once a month is called All My Single Friends. It's the third Thursday of every month. I created it because I saw how miserable everyone was on these apps. And I was like, I wish I could just get a bunch of single people in a room together. And so it's a comedy show where basically the whole audience is single, but you can also come if you're not single. You wear a sticker if you are single that has a number on it. I interview and coach people on stage. We give you free tequila. And then when you leave, you can write down all the numbers you saw that were interesting to you. And then we'll email them for you. So you don't even have to talk to anyone if you don't want to. Can we please go to LA to yes, see this? I yeah, want to be part of it. Super fun. We've had many relationships, makeouts, fun times come out of it. So it's such a brilliant idea. It's such a great opportunity. Um, it's brilliant. It's really brilliant. Can we franchise it and like have it? No, in- yes. I don't Absolutely. I mean, it's very like it, it works because it's not the awkwardness of speed dating, but it's also like you get to be in a room with people and see if you are attracted to them in person instead of are you attracted to this one doctored picture of them on your phone? totally wow oh i like that so much that's awesome again thank you so much it was such a treat thank you so much for having me you guys are amazing thank you all right bye donna bye